This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, review the podcast. That's out of the way. A special edition here, a Thanksgiving edition of the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles. We'll mix in a lot of mailbag questions that you guys sent to Greg. But Greg, let's start with Bill Parcells. Kind of a strange place to begin, but that's (laughs) where we'll start. Uh, He always used to say, you are what your record says you are. I know you're working on something about that. And your thoughts about how that relates to this football team in 2020. Yeah, I just, Nick, I just think it's significant that, um, and we sort of talked about this and I got the numbers wrong because look, uh, I am not a numbers guy. I'm not a math major. I married a math major. Uh, I took one math class in college. So numbers are not my strong suit. If, if I can't use the sum function or average function on a spreadsheet, it gets a little <laughs> dicey. So uh, I was kind of going by the seat of my pants and I got, I got the number wrong. So let's, let's correct the record. The Patriots over the last calendar year, over the last 16 games, are 6-10. and 10. And I think that's a very significant number. I am uh, a little surprised and a little bit disappointed by the uh, Patriots media contingent at large. Uh, this should be a big deal that the Patriots are six and ten over their last sixteen games, and I think it's I think it's significant. Like we're not talking about a two and four finish to a season like they did last year, or a four and six start to this season. Like those can be explained away uh, because you know, like last year they started uh, you know ten and one. And then limped down the stretch, lost to the Titans in the playoffs. This year they're four and six. Who knows? They could rebound and be ten and six, nine and seven. We don't know. But for the first time in Bill Belichick's tenure since two thousand, when they were five and eleven, and that actually stretched to six and fourteen after starting one and three in two thousand and one, uh, Bill Belichick has a losing record. His team, he has a losing team. Let's just cut to the chase. And I think it's significant. I think it should be noted. I think it should be discussed. And that's what we're going to do here. And that really led me into, okay, this is where they are. You know, sort of, how do they get out of it? And and this involves, you know, a roster assessment, something I like to do. Right. Let me put that aside for a second, because I do, I think this is also significant. Um, you know, everybody... I'm sure there are a lot of Patriots fans out there that want to explain away uh, this, certainly this four and six season to this point with Cam Newton that, okay, it's just bad. You know, the quarterback hasn't fit COVID, whatever, what have you, you know, there's been a growing criticism about his inability to finish games at the end. And you could look at their two and four record uh, as evidence of that. But I'd also like to point out, and I think this is relevant and it's also significant, that the Patriots finished one and four in one score games down the stretch when Tom Brady was the quarterback. So I don't think it's valid for for anyone to sit there and explain away this season and large largely the six and ten record over the past sixteen games by, well, it's just Cam Newton. Yeah. And if Tom yep. Brady was here, it would be different. It would be flipped around, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm sorry. But three and eight in one score games in your last 11 opportunities is 
not an indictment on the quarterback, the current quarterback, or the former quarterback. To me, it is an indictment on the roster and where it is, and I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the roster is obviously not good enough, and I've said this countless times over the last few weeks, but I think it bears repeating because people just don't want to listen. The Patriots are a middle-class team right now. That's who they are. And when you go back to the final stages of 2019, that's who they were. They're a middle-class roster. They're, they're stuck in the middle, whether you want to call it purgatory or that middle tier. You know, you walk into seasons and you have five or six contenders, you have five or six bottom feeders, and then you have everybody else. And that's where the Patriots are. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the quarterback position, because I, I do agree with you, Greg. People try to break this down to one guy. And yeah. I think it's easier for them to do that than look at the whole. They could just say, oh, listen, you know, I still believe Belichick is really good at what he does. And, you know, of course they're not going to win as many games when you got a quarterback like Cam who looks weird when he throws and, you know, he can't throw beyond 40 yards and blah, 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 blah. Wears yeah, funny had, outfits. Yeah, yep. yeah. I, I had somebody tweet at me the other day like, oh, he can't throw a ball, you know, past 10 yards accurately. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure I saw a 42-yard touchdown pass to Demir Bird today. <laughs> Yeah, not to say that he's going to do that all the time, but right. I think it's so dramatically swung towards Cam over the last few weeks, and it really began with Denver-San Francisco. I think when you look at how this team has played, Greg, and maybe you'll disagree with me, maybe you'll call me crazy, but over the last three or four weeks, right, since that San Francisco game, I actually think we've seen Cam steadily play better. Now, he hasn't been great consistently, and I don't expect him to be great consistently. But when I look at the problems of this roster over the last month, I don't think Cam is towards the top. I think what you see is what you get with this team. They've got limited weapons on the outside. They've got no tight end position to speak of. Their defense in the middle of the field is a dumpster fire. They've got to try to rely on a secondary and ask them to cover for way too long because they can't get a consistent pass rush. You know, the play calling has been subpar uh, for, for some chunks of this season. I think when you look at the problems of this team, yes, this team, 6-10 and 10 over the last 16 games, it tells you it goes beyond the quarterback, and I think people have to realize, acknowledge, and embrace the idea that this team is like a lot of other teams that will go 7-9 and nine or 9-7 nine and seven or 6-10. and 10. They're right in that area, and if you execute, you can win some games. You might sneak out a couple of wins, but when you don't execute and you're in that middle pack, you're looking at 6-10, and 7-9, and, and, and that's what this team is. Yeah, well, I I agree with you largely on Cam in that since since San Francisco and, and we talked about it at the time they needed to get back to basics they needed to rebuild right. him sort of brick by brick because yep. whatever happened with COVID it it took all the momentum out and it basically he had, they had to restart and I largely agree with you that since then I think Cam has played winning football in my mind and uh, there are a couple guys just to sort of clue people in on how I operate um, largely during the course of the week. I don't read a lot of what other people do, uh, whether it's on this beat or nationally or whatnot, because I like to keep my mind clear and my thoughts original. I don't like right. to read a bunch of people because even inadvertently stuff might seep in and it might make, it might color my observations about the team or who knows, I might, I might read something from somebody and it gets stuck in my head and then I write it and, um, you know, it's basically like I'm using their thoughts. And I that's I don't want that. Word. And and this includes uh whether it's pro football focus, um, but 
after the fact, like basically what I do is the game happens. Usually Monday night, I watch the film. I'll write my column. We'll do the podcast review on Tuesday. And then sort of after that, I sort of catch up on what other people are saying. This includes pro football focus. I'll have my grades. Then I'll double, I'll check them against theirs to see how that matches up. But, you know, Mike Lombardi is a guy that I listen to his podcast because he has intimate knowledge of the Patriots and Belichick's thinking and things like that. And, and another person that I like that, that I've started to lately to, to listen to, because I think he's really good when he analyzes uh, film and he does his breakdowns is Chris Sims. I think he, he does an excellent podcast and he also was with the Patriots for a time. And if you listen to him over the past few weeks, he thinks Cam's basically played flawless over the past three or four games. And while I, I wouldn't go that far, um, but largely I think he's 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 executed the game plan well. And something I put on Twitter the other day, and I mentioned on Felger and Maz, that it was it was sent to me by uh, by a league source. And it surprised me, and I think it would surprise a lot of people that total yards per game. Yeah. New England is 16th. This is offense. 16th. Tampa Bay, with Tom Brady and all those weapons, 18th. Yards per play. New England is 15th. Tampa Bay is 20th. Passing net yards per play. New England 17th. Tampa 21st. First downs yeah. per game. New England 9th. Tampa Bay 15th. Third down efficiency, New England 11th, Tampa Bay 13th. So I think this this further backs up your point, Nick, in that I, I think, and, and I touched on it the other day, that I think a lot of the criticism of Cam Newton is unfair. And I think it belongs, it, it, it is the product of some things that we don't like to talk about in terms of inherent racism and things like that. But I think that, I think that largely your point is correct, that, over the last three or four games, Cam Newton has started to play winning football. This offense has been efficient for the most part, and largely the problem is the defense. And I think when we when we talk in a second about um, sort of my chip report yeah. and, and give sort of an overview, it becomes blatant on what's going on with this team. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because you go back to the Jets game and I understand the quarterback gets the credit, the quarterback gets the blame, that old adage, right? But you go back to that Jets game, it's a perfect example where I thought Cam was good, especially in the second half. J.C. Jackson was exposed in that game a couple of times. You know, he fell on his face once, literally, gave up a touchdown. Yeah. And, you know, people are still talking about Cam. And it's like, listen, I understand he's polarizing and, and people, and, and there's a part of this, Let's peek behind the curtain. You know this. I know this, Greg. Cam brings ratings, right, because he's a polarizing guy. So breaking down linebacker play and some of the other things that aren't going well for this team, it's not as sexy as breaking Cam down and comparing him to Tom Brady. And that's why some of these people – and listen, I understand they got a job to do, but you know sometimes they'll go the easy path because they know that it's going to drive phone calls. They know it's going to drive – you know, listeners, they know it's going to drive readers. So they'll talk yep. about Cam and they'll write about Cam. But I mm -hmm. think Cam is one of the least of their worries right now. And I tweeted that out on Sunday and I caught crap from some people. That's fine. You know, they're going to live in their bubble. They're going to blame Cam for everything. I don't think he has been the major issue. I think he's played well enough for this team to win football games the last three, four weeks. 
And if he continues to play this way, I think they have a chance to win football games if the defense gets the head out of their ass. Um, let, well, let's talk about – oh, go ahead. You got one more thing? So, no, I was just going to lead us into uh, – that That leads us into sort of the, the chip report. And I right. just want to go over basically the top line of the defense because I think this is essentially what it is because when you came into the season – with the Patriots, you knew they were deficient in areas on offense. They were going to have a new quarterback. Uh, you, fi- we figured the running, uh, the offensive line was going to be really good. Had a chance to be one of the best in the league. The running game would be better than it was last season. Uh, the quarterback would help with his running ability, create some open lanes, and largely, big picture, what's gone on with the offense, uh, you know, in the past month, is that's basically taken hold that that's the Patriots are who they are on offense. And, yep. but part of the, a big part of the equation was, okay, well, well, a, they needed to take care of the ball better, which they have done. That's been the biggest reason why they've done better. Um, but they needed to play good defense and you figured, okay, well, they have one of the best secondaries in the league. They will figure it out up front, which they normally do in the front seven, but they just haven't been able to do that. And, and basically, the the chips sort of tell the tale. And and to give her a quick explainer, I do this from time to time, usually once a year, uh, where I look at the roster and basically it breaks down to. And I learned this from a old NFL executive because this is the way they look at things. So blue chips are elite players compared to the rest of the league. Uh, purple chips are are good starters across the league. So elite is probably top five or six. Um, good starters are top 10, 12. And then red chips are just NFL starters that they would start on any other team. So really, when when I look at these things and I look against uh, when better teams play each other, to me, it comes down to how many how many blue and purple chips do you have and how many of them play to their level okay. in, that, in that game. And so – if you look back last year, let's just go over the defense, and th- this is just really the headliner. So last year, I had them for eight elite blue-chip defenders, eight, okay? And, and that was Gilmore, Devin McCourty, Hightower, Collins, Van Noy, Jason McCourty at the time. Um, last year, he played really good football, Jonathan Jones and Patrick Chung. I would say those guys in their role were elite in the league. In their role, which is what people have to remember, Greg saying – in their, what they're asked to right. do, they were elite at what they were asked to do by Belichick. Right. Like Jonathan Jones in the slot, to me, last year and this year, he is a he's an elite player. Um, you know, Patrick Chung as a box safety is elite. Now, would I put him, you know, in in elite as a safety in general? No. And then also on uh as far as purple chips, good starters. I had, and this was, when I did this, this was like October when I did this. And it was Danny Shelton, Michael Bennett, and Lawrence Guy. So right there, you have 11 blue chips and purple chips combined. Right now, I had them for five. I had them for Gilmore, Jackson, Jones, Guy. Guy has gone up to an elite level for me. Yeah. And I, I have Devin McCourty down to the purple level, a good starter. I think he slipped. They've lost. So so Devin McCourty has slipped. No Hightower, no Collins, no Van Noy. Jason McCourty has slipped down to, I think, starter level for me. Patrick Chung opted out. Danny Shelton's gone, not replaced. Michael Bennett uh, traded, not replaced. 
So that's going from 11 to five. And to me, that is the difference. None of those guys have been replaced. The draft hasn't done it. Free agency hasn't done it. To me, that's where you start with this roster where it's yeah. just not measuring up. And that's not even getting into the offense. But to me, that's where you start with this team and why they are four and six, six and 10. Yeah, it makes sense because when you look at that defense, right? Linebacker, you lost Van Noy, you lost Collins, you lost Hightower. You didn't replace them. For all intents and purposes, you didn't. You were hoping that you would have a full camp and you would have a rookie camp and you would be able to slowly develop Jennings and Uche. And and maybe out of those two guys, you could get one decent starter out of them their rookie season. That hasn't happened. So you failed to replace the linebacker position. You try to replace Shelton with Bo Allen. That fell on its face. Allen was a wasted space on this roster and just, you know, wasted money, never got on the field for them. So you didn't replace Shelton. And then you look at Chung and his ability. You're trying to do some of that stuff with Phillips and you're trying to do some of that stuff with Duggar. And, you know, Phillips has been good from, you know, what you would ask of him, his, his expectations. I think he's been okay. He's been fine. Um, And Duggar, you know, he's been hit or miss. I think that's because he's a rookie. He's still learning. So, you know, you failed to replace those losses with anybody that you could actually count on tangibly and it's showing out there on the field. So, you know, I think, again, if people are going to be concerned, and we always want to talk about Bill Belichick and how great he is, and he's considered the greatest coach of all time. Well, he's supposed to be a defensive genius. And, you know, he's got to do a better job of finding talent to replace these guys than he did. And he he just did not do it. Now, I do think some of that is COVID-related. I do. I don't know what mm-hmm. Jennings and Uche would have been with a full camp, and I think it's fair to ask that question. But you, you can't expect a lot from this rookie class. With that said, you go out and you sign somebody like Copeland who didn't do anything right. for you. You know, you go out there and you sign Bo Allen who did nothing for you. So you you did have a chance, and it's not like Belichick didn't know this. We're seeing them get torn apart by tight ends on Sunday, mm-hmm. and you go back to Aqib Tlaib, and Tlaib tells us, hey, look, Belichick gave me a phone call. Bill wanted me to go play for five, six million dollars and cover tight ends. So Belichick knew that he did not have the requisite pieces to handle tight ends in the middle of the field. So now he's trying to piece it together. And obviously, judging by Sunday, that ain't happening just yet. Totally agree with you. And I just think this is uh you know, it's gonna be the the bigger question, and this is a this is a question that we'll get into you know, mostly in the off season, we have plenty of time. And even some of these mailback questions, people are like, you know, <laughs> who are your top free agent targets they're looking, and draft they're looking forward, baby. They're looking forward right at yeah, you. I mean, forward. look, we're going to have a lot of car, uh, cold, dark months in February and March where we can talk about, you know, these things. And, <laughs> and But, you know, I just don't, and certainly the cap is going to help them next year. Yeah. Um, But unless these kids, you know, like Uche and Jennings and Asiasi and Kane, unless they get a full off season and all of a sudden they pop. And and I'm sure, you know, there are a lot of Patriots fans who are going to be hoping, oh, well, with a full off season, they'll be able to do this, this and that, you know, maybe, but that's hoping for a lot. And, and yeah. for them to compete, to become a winning team, a team that's going to contend next year uh, and get out of the six and 10 sort of rut, 
uh, they're going to need a lot of things to hit, whether yeah. it's those second-year players, draft picks, free agency. That's a lot to ask in one offseason. It's going to be an offseason like we've never seen here in New England, and I think it's a lot to ask. And uh, it's just, you know, they're I think they're in a tough spot right now, and I think you're looking at a – I don't know if this is a one-year fix. I think it's a two- to three-year fix, but we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, I said this on EEI last weekend – I've said it a couple other times as well. This is really all going to come down to this offseason. It is. And and Bill Belichick has opportunity. It's whether or not he hits a home run with that opportunity. He's got more than $70 million in cap space that he can spend. We, we know COVID is going to affect the cap. There's going to be a lot of teams that are in a tough, tough spot. They have to cut good veterans. Guys at Belichick might be able to low ball because of having that cap space and limited opportunity in other places. He's got the cap space, and he's going to have a lot of draft capital. And if if Belichick has a great offseason, this team is right back into the mix in the AFC East. If Belichick swings and misses this offseason, now you look back at 2020, and I think you say it's the beginning of the end. If he's able to give you a good offseason, then you could say, well, 2020 was almost a, a much-needed hiccup or you know, some some kind of speed bump in the way but they were able to kind of rebuild. They were kind of able to reshape and they were a playoff team in 2021. He has the opportunity. I don't know if he's going to do it, but it, it's going to be all on his plate and, and he has the assets and he has the money to address these weaknesses, whether he does it or not, the jury is out. And I know it's not a popular thing to say on sports radio or in podcasts. It's just the truth folks. Like we're not going to know in the big picture, what this season truly meant until probably 2022, 2023. And then we're going to look back and say, okay, well, yeah, that season stunk and the roster wasn't good enough, but then Belichick capitalized the next off season and he addressed the needs and the weaknesses. If he does that, mm -hmm. then we're talking about a pretty good football team. All right, let's get to the Cardinals briefly before we talk uh, mailbag here on the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. Uh, your thoughts just on this matchup? Obviously, the first go-to is, well, we just saw Deshaun Watson drive yeah. this defense nuts, and now here comes Kyler Murray. Yeah, and I think they're I think they're very similar in terms of style of quarterback. Uh, obviously, Deshaun is, uh, is taller. Um, but I would say that they're very similar in that these are guys who are looking uh, to throw before they run, even though they can run, and Kyler Murray is – Oh, the dude's like a video game. He's I mean, a he really deadly is. runner, man. He is a deadly, deadly runner. Yeah. And the thing is, his, you know, his throwing ability is, is great. I, you know, there is the sort of, you know, is he going to be able to play? Uh, he had the shoulder thing during that Thursday night game. Yeah. Um, yep. I assume he's going to play. I don't even know who the, the backup I see is this guy named Chris. Streveler, I've never even heard of him. <laughs> um, Brett Hunley is. is also there. I know who that um, is. Where the hell is Streveler from? South Dakota. He is uh, 6'3", 215. Um, and uh, he looks a little bit like James Devlin, just to let people know. But, um, you know, he is just he, – he's dynamite. If you thought Deshaun Watson was tough to defend and the Patriots just basically like, you know, just – gave up and let it happen. Uh, the same thing can, can happen here. Um, he, he, he's another guy that, that he will, he will 
buy time, buy space like Watson to find room to throw. Yep. Uh, he will not automatically look to run, probably especially with the shoulder injury. He looked a little bit. He did not run as much after he got dinged up early in that game um, against Seattle. And so I would figure that would continue or he'll run out of bounds a lot. But, I mean, in general about the Cardinals, uh, I think they're a talented team. I think they're very undisciplined. Um, they 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 miss a lot of tackles. I think that Kingsbury, the coach, misses a lot because he's buried in his offensive play sheet all the time. I think that Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator, is okay. Uh, I don't think he's he's great. But if the Patriots can play a game where they don't turn the ball over, they minimize their penalties, uh, they can get off the field once in a while on defense, um, then I think they they can win this game. Yeah. Uh, but – if they if they get out of sorts like with the penalties and defensively, if they just sort of say, all right, well, we're not going to rush Kyler Murray because we're afraid if we go upfield or what have you, and they play zone coverage like they did against Watson, they're going to have a tough time winning that game again. Yeah, I mean, I look at this and the way I feel about this team, and it kind of goes back to what we started with today, Greg, the way I feel about the Patriots is – I think you could pretty much figure they'll score 17 to 24 points on a given week, right? I think that's what their offense is. Now, yeah. if they play flawless, if if they create turnovers defensively, they get some takeaways, and then you get some short fields, you might be able to see 27, 30 points on the board. But mostly we're looking at 17 to 24 points is a, is a pretty good range as to what you're going to get out of this offense. So with that said, it comes down to the defense, man. And when you look at what the Cardinals do – you try to mirror this offense with Houston, and I'll tell you, Arizona, they've got better weapons than Houston does. And, and you look at this offense, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, uh, Larry yeah. Fitzgerald, uh, Dan Arnold is a very athletic tight end. He's pretty much like yeah. a wide receiver, just a big wide receiver that they play at tight end. Uh, mm-hmm. Kenyon Drake has not had as good of a season, but he is still explosive from the running back position. And Kyler Murray, I... I I will say this, if you look back, Deshaun Watson, since the first three weeks of the season, he's been rated as the number one quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus. I think uh, even myself did this. We overlooked how good Watson has been this year. So I I think the quarterback position is a step back. I like Murray, but I think Watson's playing at such a high level, you won't see that kind of play, or at least you haven't seen that kind of level of play from, from Murray just yet. But this is a really tough offense to deal with. And... After seeing last week, maybe I'm shook. I think the Cardinals win this game. I know the number is, uh, you know, Cardinals minus two and a half. I think they cover. I, I just, coming off of the Texans game, unless Belichick, and listen, he can do it. He's, he's Bill Belichick. Unless he comes up with something and schemes this thing up to slow that offense down, I don't know if this Patriots defense can keep the Cardinals under 24 points. And I think they have to do that to win this game on Sunday. Yeah. I'm I'm worried about this game. I you know part of me wants to say okay, what happened to them last week taught them a lot of lessons. They're gonna adjust. Uh, the players are gonna have pride. You know all that stuff. They're at home. Uh, you know four fifteen game. There should be a lot of eyeballs on the game. But I, I I don't know. I have a lot of worries about where this team is. Some of the veterans are where they are mentally after last week and they know how daunting a task this is but i think i'm going to choose for one more week to believe in the core of this team and the veterans on this team and the coaches especially on the defensive side 
Um, I think I think the offense will do enough. I think they've been sneaky, very efficient uh, over the past about month. Uh, I know that there was one there was one stretch from the end of the Buffalo game, and, and it'll probably went in to, to this one as well, where I think it's like 16, 17 out of like 22 or 23 offensive drives, they produce points. And I think if they could just get the defense to be a little bit better, I'm going to have some hope in that regard. And I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick the Patriots probably something around 24, 20, but I don't feel great about it, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to believe for one more week. I'm going to go Cardinals, same score, 24, 20. Uh, let's get to the bostonsportsjournal.com member question of the day. Before we get to the mailbag, uh, check them out over at BSJ, 11 cents a day on their annual plan. Membership at BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis Bedard does on the coach's film and direct access to him in weekly chats. And don't forget, folks, Boston Sports Journal, they don't do any deals most of the year, but they do give you a deal on Cyber Monday. So there will be a Cyber Monday deal. It's the only deal that they do. You want to check it out. Uh, let's start with uh, John M. Greg this week. What exactly is the status of this cap space that they have for next season? Which players would it make uh, the most sense to move on from to provide additional space? Okay, so right now for next year, uh, and this is with a base salary cap of 176 million, which is, um, I think the I think it's the minimum that it's going to be, and, yeah. and people think that it's really going to be there. Right now, the Patriots over at OverTheCap.com, those guys do a really good job. Effective cap space because that includes uh, signing some guys to the minimum to get them to top 51, and you know all sorts of stuff that people really don't need to know about. But effectively, they have 60 million dollars right now. Now that does not include the 21 million that they have right now that they could roll over. So let's just ballpark it and say they have about 80 million in cap space. Yeah. Yeah. For next year, it's going to be among the league leaders. Um, you know, as far as, as far as guys who, you know, could come off the cap for next year that could save them even more. Um, you know, I, I, some of these guys like, you know, you'll get some of it with, uh, you know, Stefan Gilmore could be gone in a trade. Uh, Edelman would save you a couple million. There aren't a huge, there aren't a lot of big savings as far as guys who who are, you know, dead. Marcus Cannon, you know, guys like Hightower, those guys who might not come back from COVID, might stay yeah. retired. Yep. Those guys, you're going to get a little dead money, but you're going to get a little savings. But I think, you know, roughly the Patriots – with what they have to do, they're going to have about $80 million. That's a lot of money. Um, I think, you know, priority number one is figuring out what you're going to do at the quarterback position. Um, and again, I think you need to let the season and the offseason, the beginning portions of it play out before we really know what the landscape is there. There's a lot of dominoes to fall with, you know, Trevor Lawrence going number one, Justin Fields, you know, what's, the teams that take them, what's their quarterback situation is, who cuts loose. But let's just say they have $80 million next year and they have a lot of holes to fill. Now, look, I, I want to bring this up. I've sort of alluded to it before, but there is some belief around the team that they're not sure how many big ticket items the crafts will allow Bill Belichick to sign in terms yeah. of 
in terms of like big signing bonuses. Like because, a Gilmore, like a, an Adalis Thomas back in the day, Rosie right. Colvin, one of those dudes. Yeah. You might get one, like, you know, they, you know, every five, six, seven years, they allow one. <laughs> you um, get one big gift under the tree. That's all you get, Bill. You get right, one. But I don't think they're going to let them sign like four or five of them. Um, but who knows? Maybe they're really annoyed by this season. They don't like losing and they say, you know what? Just do it. That That's also possible, but there's, there's a belief, and and you can look at the way they structured some contracts, and this could affect them when they if they get into a bidding war. Is say say a guy gets fifty million dollars signing bonus, um, are they going to give him the whole fifty, or are they going to split it up between one year to a next year where another team, say like the Raiders, will fork over all the money up front, and that right. could be a big difference. So it's uh, there there are a lot of questions we're going to have to see. They have opportunity. That's the easiest way I'll say it. They, they have some opportunity. What they yeah. want to do with that is going to be up to them. Uh, Jeff M asks us, uh, Duggar didn't look very good in the Texans game. What'd you see from him? Just rookie inexperience or some other bigger issues? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, we talked about it in the last podcast. Yep. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of technique work that he needs in coverage. I still think he's a good run and hit uh, safety, a good box safety against the run. Blitzing, I think he's tremendous. Um, a lot of upside there. But if they want him covering tight ends, his technique's going to have to be a lot better. He's going to have to le- learn to move his feet. He's going to have to anticipate routes. He's going to have to do film work to figure out, okay, well, I'm covering this tight end. What kind of routes does he like to to run from – you know, where he's lined up on the field and what's the percentage, you know, the percentage is 75% of the time he's going to go inside, you know, and then you gotta, you gotta know that stuff. And then you can jump routes and make plays. You know, the Duggar that I saw the other day had no clue when the guy came off the line of scrimmage, what he was going to do. He was flat footed. So that led him being two, two steps behind everything. And that, that was a struggle. Yeah, and Joan Williams is, I don't know what happened to him. At the beginning of the year, yep. it looked like he might be the guy to help cover tight ends. He's just, I mean, that's another high pick that he's just not playing yep. a lot. And so I, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, Ryan asks you about Winovich. It's a long question. I'll try to give you the gist. Uh, you said earlier this year that you weren't sure that Winovich was going to be long for the program. Ryan's point is, hey, listen, they've got a lot of holes already. Do you really want to create another hole by letting Winovich walk or trade him or whatever you do? What do you think overall happens with Chase Winovich? I think he probably stays here and he conforms a little bit more. I think we've seen some of that this year. Uh, He's always going to be out there and he's always going to be a millennial and he's always going to be, you know, doing his thing with social media and his brand. Finding that camera, baby. Oh, yeah. Finding that camera. Uh, but I think he's a good player. And I think that, uh, you know, Ryan's point is correct in that, look, he's a good football player and this team lacks good football players in the front seven. So why, wh- why won't you f- figure out a way to work with them? And I think that Belichick will, uh, certainly while he's cheap, you know, when it comes to re-signing him, they're probably not going to do that. But, um, yeah, I think he's a good player. I, like I said, in the last pod, I would look at, this offseason, moving him full-time to inside linebacker, I think it's a position that he can play. I think his body's suited for it. I think his mind's suited for it. And I think he might get, he might give the Patriots a lot better options than some of the other ones they currently have on the roster. Rob M. has a cam question from what we've seen through several games this season. Do you think they should sign him for the next few years or cut him loose? I'll give you a third option, 
And that's the little wiggle room middle option, which is how about you just bring him back for 2021? Yeah. And I think that right now, um, that's where I'm headed. Um, but largely all of my quarterback answers and people can ask me this and they will, they'll ask this more and more as the Patriots fall out of the playoff race, they're barely hanging on right now. And my stock answer is going to be Bill Belichick is going to wait for the off season. So why shouldn't I like, what, what is the point in me saying whether (laughs) Cam should be brought back or not? You know, is Sam Darnold available? Will he be made available to the Patriots? You know, who's in the draft? You know, who's going to, who are they going to have an opportunity? Are they going to have draft and ammunition to trade up or what have you? There are so many different factors. Um, who's healthy? You know, who knows? What if Cam tears his ankle in week 16? Like, let's just get to the end of the season. I think that Cam right now, in terms of Bill Belichick and the Patriots, is firmly in the mix for 2021. And that will include, okay, how does he finish the season? What kind of contract is he going to need for next year? And how does that match up with with who else is available to this team? Yeah. I mean, my option A, do a little sports radio thing here for you on the podcast, Greg. My If I'm taking the information that I have right now, which is all I could do, my option A is actually keeping Cam for 2021 and drafting a quarterback in that first round. I do think there are five or six guys that could be first-round talents at quarterback. If you listen to Todd McShay, you listen to Matt Miller, many other draft pundits have at least five guys in the first round. And I think so many people are so focused on Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and rightfully so because those guys are really good. But you've got those two guys. You obviously have Trey Lance. Uh, You have Zach Wilson from BYU. You've got Kyle Trask from Florida. You've got Mac Jones from Alabama. So you could have six guys go in the first round. And if the Patriots are in the middle of that first round, they will have a shot at one of them. Now, do they like him? That's the other question. Does Josh McDaniels, Mm -hmm. does Belichick like one of the rookie quarterbacks that are in that region? Like you said, could they move up? But for me, plan A, if I'm Belichick, is I'm keeping Cam, I'm drafting a young quarterback, and I'm having a competition. If that rookie quarterback beats out Cam, great. I've got that guy for the next five years on his rookie deal. If he needs a year of seasoning, I trust Cam to come back, to be more comfortable, and to play well enough with some other moves that I make with that $80 million in cap space. And from my draft in the rookie class this year, hoping they improve, I think I could win 10 or 11 games. So I I think that would be my option A if I was Belichick. Yep. All right, let's go uh, Go to – we talked about Cam, so John D., thanks for the question, but we just gave you uh, the Cam answer. Andy W., does Robert Kraft have it in him to take some of the personnel decision, uh, decision-making decision away from Bill uh, before the next draft? Nope, not happening. <laughs> I mean, you might as well just you – know, A, A, Belichick would quit. B, you might as yeah. well just fire him and just, you know, put, put Josh McDaniels in place or just, you know, come to some sort of agreement with Bill, but just – you know, I'm pretty sure nobody knows what's in Bill's contract, but I'm pretty sure it's written into his contract that he has full and total authority on football operations. And like, you know, I just when people bring this up, I just find it comical. Yeah, it's like, not happening. The, the only thing that I've brought up that, that I do think is is somewhat reasonable to ask is, do you bring another voice in that Belichick has experience with to maybe push back a little bit more than Casario does? I, I don't know if Casario would be OK with that. Uh, his his name escapes me. Uh, I think he's down in Tennessee now. The older guy they brought in a few years ago, Greg, to help. Oh, Floyd Reese? Yes. You know, do you bring back a Scott Pioli? Do you bring back a Dimitrov? Do you bring back, you know, one of those guys that 
understands the process in, in, in the New England organization to maybe have another voice in that room? I, I think that's a fair question to ask. But it really, you know, it, it comes down to Belichick. Whether you do bring that other voice in, Belichick is going to make the decisions. And if you try to tell him that he's going to have less of a say, I agree with Greg, he's going to leave. I'll see you later. You're not stripping me of my power. I've built this over 20 years, and I'm not letting it go. You know, you can't pull this away from my, you know, my, what is it, my cold, dead hands. Like, like, that's going to be Belichick. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not going to let it be. Robbie yeah. will a really poor finish six ten or worse be a blessing in disguise and that it will spur a more dramatic response slash rebuild next season from Bill. Um, I mean, <laughs> does like anything get does anything get a response out of Bill? I mean, that's it's pretty much be like I think I think his his demeanor um sixteen and zero and six and ten is both <clears throat> um uh. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, so, um, no, I mean, look, do I think he, he's going to be embarrassed and that he's embarrassed where he is? Um, you know, is his pride take a hit? Sure. But again, um, I don't know how dramatic things can happen. I mean, this is not, this is not baseball. This is not basketball. Um, this is football and it's, you need a 53 man roster. Um, as we've heard from the Belichicks in the past, they think that uh, the NFL is uh, they're in the business of depth management and their depth, quite frankly, sucks on this team. And it's why they are six and 10 over the last 16 yeah. games. Yeah. And so there's, there's only so much you can do. I mean, you know, could he trade up in the draft and get a quarterback and could he sign a couple of big free agents? Yeah. But how much does that change the team as a whole? Uh, I don't think much. So I don't think a dramatic one-year turn is, is going to really change things. And, uh, you know, look, I think you're dismissing that they went out in the first round last year with a whimper against the Titans. And how much did things really change in this offseason? Not much. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you a question, and we're running a little bit long here, but whatever, it's a special episode. I was going to ask you a question about Belichick, because you said something in the last podcast that stood out to me we were talking about Belichick's comportment after the loss in Houston and how he wasn't angry. He wasn't ornery. I saw Michael Hurley use that word on Twitter. I think it's a perfect word. He wasn't ornery to me. He just came across as defeated. And and you said you felt like, you know, watching him through that post-game press conference. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm pretty sure you said that it, it seemed like Belichick finally realized what he has on this roster that almost that it was a moment of epiphany watching that game play out. So my question to you, Greg, and we'll get back to the mailbag in a minute. My question to you is, what do you think Belichick sees with this team? Do you think he sees a team that you and I are talking about here, six and 10 over the last 16? You know, do you think that he looks at his recent drafts and the assortment of talent that he has on his roster? And he says, man, we're not good enough. We need the rebuild like Robbie is talking about. Or do you think Belichick is looking at this and saying, we haven't gotten enough from our rookies. That's due to the circumstances. I still believe in these guys. And maybe Belichick thinks that this team is closer to 11 and five than other people think. I think that I think it's the, the former. I think that he, I think that it hit home in this game that like, Jesus, we can't even beat this Texans team. 
that's you know a half a disaster and <laughs> you know we can't we can't even we can barely even stop Deshaun Watson um you know we have no speed here we have you know we can't tackle here like I think that Belichick you know was basically building and he knew you know we've heard the excuses earlier in the season with COVID and things like that but look you know every year around this time this is where the Patriots start to their ascension and um you know, they start to come together more when other teams start falling apart. And it just, I, I think it re, he realized it in that game that the, there's just not a t- enough talent on this team to do it. And this was, this was sort of like the final straw because it looked like, okay, you know, we go down to Houston, we're five and five. Now we're cooking with gas. Maybe we, you know, we have some momentum to go for the end of the season. Yeah. And it just um, to drop the four and six, I think that was a big blow to him, and and I don't think, I think he looks at it like, boy, we're we're pretty far away. Yeah, uh, I think that answers Aaron Jay's question about a, a run in the playoffs. Let, let's jump to uh, Ryan E. Quickly, I don't want to jump too much into this and and dive down the rabbit hole. How realistic is a Jimmy G comeback to to New England? Uh, I think decent, but I will say one point I wanted to make about this is that I saw that. Uh, Chris Sims uh, wrote something or talked about that he thinks uh, I saw this in the San Francisco media that he thinks that uh, the door's wide open for Jimmy Garoppolo to be back in San Francisco next year. And that sort of raised my eyebrows because Chris Sims and Kyle Shanahan yeah. are extremely close. They They're were tight. teammates, yep. roommates at Texas. Um, they were on the same coaching staff or a Sims was a player when uh in tampa when um when kyle shanahan was there on the coaching staff things like that so they're very tight so if he if he hasn't closed the door on garoppolo that means shanahan hasn't i think san francisco is going to move on i think all of this is just a lot of fluff to to make jimmy g feel better about himself i think they know they got to move on they looked at brady last off season i don't think that's you know just them doing due diligence. I do think they saw Jimmy G in the Super Bowl in that fourth quarter fall apart. I do think they asked him to throw eight passes in a playoff game before that. I don't think they believe that Jimmy G is the kind of guy that can carry them if they need him to carry them. You know, I think they believe in their scheme, and Shanahan is very good. Uh, but I think if they could upgrade at quarterback, I think they'll do it. And I think they believe they can probably upgrade at quarterback from what they've seen from Garoppolo. Um, here's Brett, your number one free agent target, Greg. Uh, he brings up Allen Robinson, Levante David, as well as a name. Uh, you know, what position are you addressing first? And if you have a name to go along with that, would be perfect. Uh, I'm going for some sort of front seven impact player, somebody who's really damn good that people have to look out for that can pressure the quarterback and tackle people and things like that. You know, the, the, the names that he mentioned that Brett mentioned, Allen Robinson and Levante David, those guys aren't leaving their teams and people, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why I don't want to get into a lot of this, uh, you know, projection on who, who would you do this with and whatnot? Because yeah, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be franchise tagged. I mean, the Tampa Bay bucks are not letting Levante David go. It's just not, it's not happening. And so, um, you know, it's tough for me to say that. I'm sort of looking through the le- the list real quick of impact players in the front seven. I don't see any that are young and come to mind, really. And, and really what you're going to need to do, what people – don't look at the free agency list. Wait and see 
until you see the teams that are that are under the that that need to shed salary right yeah because of the salary cap situation yep. like that's where the patriots are going to make their bang for the buck it's almost going to be like 2001 all over again where there should be a lot of mid-priced low-priced veteran free agents available yep and it's going to be and this is what's good for the patriots this is belichick's wheelhouse like he might not be good at projecting draft picks to the pros and quite frankly that's really hard uh to do but he can watch nfl film on somebody and say all right well that guy fits us and will help us and so that's where i think the patriots are going to make their bang for the buck and that's their best path to getting better quickly not the big ticket guys yeah i remember when stefan gilmore signed and there were people freaking out. Oh my God! But Bills giving this money to the guy who played for the Bills, and he wasn't yeah. really good. And what? And then you know we know how that ended. Gilmore became the defensive player of the year. Uh, let's go to uh, Chris G on Twitter. I want to hear more about your opinion that Bill Belichick is a dictator and doesn't want to work with talented players because he doesn't want to work hard anymore. Oh, the sensitive Patriots part of the fan base <laughs> checking in. I see. You know. I want to hear more about your opinion that B BB is a dictator. Yeah, I, I did not call him a dictator, literally. That is you putting it on, taking my opinion and putting it through your sensitive Patriots filter and coming out with that. You know, what I said was was factual. Like I, you know, I don't know what I don't know what team you think you've observed over the last 20 years, but Bill Belichick rules all there. Whatever goes on in personnel is by Bill Belichick. It's and and my point the other day was, and this is factual because people in the organization have told me this, that when it for instance when it comes to the draft, Nick Casario runs the department, he organizes everything, sends out the scouts, these guys write up their reports, they have meetings. Bill Belichick sometimes does not go to those meetings. What he does is he reads the reports, he talks to college coaches, and then he makes his decision. Um, you know, and, and 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 so that's in terms of the draft, but in terms of you know that that he doesn't want to work with talented players because he doesn't want to work that hard anymore. For you know, just Urban Meyer said this. He said that he talked to Belichick, and Belichick said, "You know what? I'm at the stage of my career where I don't I, where I just want to coach guys who I enjoy coaching." Yeah, he said that. That is a fact, and. I didn't say that he doesn't want to work hard anymore. What I said was, if if he's saying that, which Urban Meyer said it, it is a direct quote that he said this to Urban Meyer. His reason was that I only want to coach guys that 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 I enjoy coaching. That means he does not want to coach talented players, often more talented players, who are tough to deal with. And so it's not a stretch. What I said, what I said was factual. And if you don't like it, take it up with bill because this is where he is at his career. And, and this is all out there in the media. It's for anybody to check, subscribe, rate, review, enjoy the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. We'll wrap it up there. An extra long edition for you during the holidays. We know you have some days off. Maybe you can catch the whole thing here. Uh, Greg, have a great weekend. We'll catch up early next week. We'll talk about this Cardinals Patriots game. Until then, uh, we'll talk to you soon.